Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 17 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. In today's episode, we return to Teodric's adventures as he makes his way home in the city of Nortalon, having just been named captain of his own vessel by the dread pirate queen Celeste. But before we dive in, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to those who have left a rating or review of the podcast. You taking the time to do so means so much to me. If your podcast app supports ratings and or reviews, please take a moment to share what you enjoy about the show. And if it doesn't, please do subscribe and share the episode with a friend who enjoys epic fantasy. Also, I apologize for the gap between our most recent episodes. My usual recording time got co-opted because we've just bought our first house. Yay! And we'll be moving at the end of this week. So there have been lots of bonus small things that I didn't even realize went into buying a house that have been um, cropping up all over the place. But I'll soon be speaking to you from a totally different spot, which I think will be interesting and fun. And I'll be sure to share pictures of my new audio setup whenever I have it. Finally, to discover what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, or less often, but ideally every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure. Theodric set his jaw as he walked past the house where they'd first lived upon their arrival to this dilapidated excuse for a city. Small gutters ran down each side of the main street, carrying filth of all sorts out to sea. The month-long voyage across the ocean had done enough to fray his mother's already fragile nerves. Her first sight and smell of Nortelon snapped them. Or so he'd thought. But fate had other, cruel plans waiting up its sleeves. Frederick's disappearance drove Aurelia forever from her own right mind, Duke Amastasia's final victory over the Adamar family. Theodric scowled at the dirt path that twisted over to the market. He stopped by Smitty's flower stand to bring a gift home to his mother. Anything pink and pretty, he told the smiling gardener. He added three extra coppers to her requested price, enough for her to buy a full meal for the husband and children she pretended not to have while she worked. He knew well enough what putting on a pleasant, flirtatious mask looked like to recognize it on another. He approached the wood and plaster home, which stood on a quiet street. If he hadn't joined Celeste's band of pirates, he would have had to move his mother to a rougher side of town, with no flowers or greenery. For a woman so in love with the sunny beauty of Io Keep, who asked after her home so often, it was unthinkable. If only Frederick could have seen it. Theodric pushed down the rising emotion at the thought of showing his father the home he'd made in his absence. Frederick knew what it was to labor for something, to apply yourself. He would have been proud. A curvy, middle-aged woman with an armful of herbs trudged around the side of the house. She stopped at Theodric's footsteps in the gravel and looked up. Her face broke into a smile. "'You're here!' she exclaimed. Nora hurried over and dropped the herbs she'd grown into a basket, and Theodric rushed to meet her at the gate. 
He reached over and unfastened the slide for her. She started having difficulties with her hands in the past few years, and any aid he could provide that would save her knuckles would be gratefully received. She wrapped him in a tight embrace the moment he stepped off the gravel and onto the stone path that led to their home's front door. He sighed, relieved. I was hoping I would see you before my mother spied me. How is she? Please don't say she's worse. She's well enough, young Master Teodric. Your sweet mother fares better in the spring, as I think we all do. She'd also like to see her handsome son more, and I'd like for him to tell me he's coming in, hmm? How am I supposed to prepare for you, as my lady would like, if you're surprising me in the middle of the morning? You know that I like to keep things interesting for you, Nora. That you do, lad. Here, come in. She'll be waking from her mid-morning rest soon, and the two of you can speak. Nora led Theodric into the receiving room that had also served as his father's library and office. Frederick's books still lined the walls. The tea service sat out in the cramped kitchen, waiting for his mother to wake from her morning nap and proceed into the drawing room or perhaps out to the back garden for her refreshment. Each day the same. Each day anticipating a new future that would never come. He paced between the two rooms while he waited, unbuttoning and rebuttoning his vest and shirt sleeves. A soft voice cooed upstairs, and Nora, perfectly attuned to his mother's schedule and patterns, climbed up the back staircase to fetch Lady Adamar. He was waiting for her in the receiving room when Nora walked her downstairs. Teotric, Aurelia said with a sigh. Her face lit up when she saw him, and his heart clenched. Though weak, she seemed well and happy. His mother glanced about the room. Dearest, where is your father? Wasn't he coming back with you today? He rose to take her hand from Nora's and help her into a chair. I'm sorry, mother. He's been delayed. The one doctor Nora had deemed suitable to tend to his mother visited the house every two weeks to check on her. After Frederick's disappearance, he advised that it would be kindest to agree with Aurelia's confusion so as not to upset her further. Theodric's stomach churned lying to her, but this was something he needed to bear to help her. She struggled and was lonely enough. That's too bad, she smiled. We should see if Nora has time to cut your hair while you're here. It's getting quite long. You don't like it? Light, pleasant conversations were best. There was a certain relief to the fantasy that the biggest difficulty they faced was the length of his hair. I do like it, sweetheart. I only thought shorter might look more refined. It was so adorable on you as a young boy. That it was. He rose to take the tea tray from Nora so that she might be able to attend to her other duties while he sat with his mother. But speaking of nice things, I picked up something for you today. He lifted the heavy blossoms from the market and placed them gently in his mother's arms. She smiled as she stared at the blooms. They're exquisite, Theodric. You know, they're so much like the ones they used to grow in Ioquip, and your father planted some just for me in our first years on his estate. I was hoping they were the same ones. Was recalling these memories beneficial for her, or would it only serve to worsen her denial? They look beautiful in your arms, but might I fetch a vase for them, mother? Nora will be along to do that, I'm sure. Ah, but she's quite busy already, isn't she? I'll just fetch a vase and set them in some water. 
He selected the single crystal vase that had survived their many purges of valuable items and filled it from the pump behind the house. There you are, mother. He set the vase beside her on the low table. Now, tell me about all of your adventures these past few weeks that I've been gone. He didn't need to tell her that he had been absent for four months, or that his new position as captain might increase those gaps even more. In the last three years, they'd made a life together from these brief exchanges. Whatever Celeste plans for him on the ocean, there should now be enough in the family coffers to care for Aurelia with or without him. Her captains didn't always live long, but they were paid well during their ten years of service. Anything to see her smile and know she was safe. That's what his father would have wanted. After his mother had turned in for the night, Theodric retraced his steps, continuing past the flower stand to his favorite place in North Elan, the tavern that had saved his spirit all those years ago. Muffled applause leaked out of the sagging windows and creaking door of the dashing Dapper Inn. The warm glow and laughter from inside invited Theodric into its loving embrace as it had five years before, when he was freshly arrived from Linolin. He relaxed his shoulders and straightened his scarf. Graziella, the proprietor, would be attuned to the slightest shift in his appearance or bearing. She couldn't know he was recently ill, and he preferred to keep the promotion from her for the moment, too. Though he kept the details of his exploits above the Dominion from her, she didn't trust Celeste. Strings plonked as the musicians traded the time on stage. People leaned over each other's tables and shared stories in the one pub in Lower Nortelan where you didn't need a knife on your belt to feel at ease. There's my lad, a husky voice called out from the bar. Dorit waddled toward him, his large belly leading the way as it had his whole lucky life, as he was fond of saying. Theodric dodged a young couple and intercepted the older man, wrapping his arms around his shoulders. You get taller each time we see you. Dorit thumped him on the back. Or you're just getting shorter. Theodric winked at him. Dorit smiled and pointed his thumb at the kitchen door. Zella's in the back, and she'll have a right fit if you don't head off to see her first thing. I'll never live it down. Theodric grinned. Well, we can't have you getting into trouble right at the beginning of the week, can we? He patted Dorit's shoulder and wove in and out of their happy customers to find the man's partner back in the kitchens. I'm supposed to ask for a beautiful woman named Graziella, Theodric called as he swung open the door. A high squeal answered him, and Graziella hurried forward. Her ancestors were half-elves and dwarves, the result of which left the tavern owner short, full-bodied, and beautiful in her kind and welcoming spirit. She had frizzy brown hair with dense spiral curls atop warm beige skin and freckles, and she always smelled of freshly made bread with the slightest hint of ale. My darling's come home, she crooned, her mouth muffled by his silk vest as she hugged him even tighter than Dorit had. Did that man of mine send you in here to feed you? You're looking skinny again. That pirate witch doesn't feed you right. Graziella was one of the only people Theodric knew who openly spoke ill of Celeste. Well, no one feeds me so well as you, but you've got to promise not to tell Nora I said that. She'll be devastated. She'd be happier if you were home more often. As would your dear mother. Graziella patted the base of his ribcage and narrowed her eyebrows. He could tell she was trying to decide what to feed him first. Whatever it was would be delicious. How is she? About the same as when I was here last, which is good. Still no word from your father? A cold blade pierced Theodric's insides. The innkeeper didn't mean any harm, but he knew he'd never be able to care for Aurelia as Frederick could. No, Zella, nothing. 
Well, you keep your chin up. He'll find you. Have you seen August yet? No, is she in this evening? She's trying out a few of the new musicians, though she hasn't liked any so well since she met you. He smiled. August had caught his eye immediately when he first arrived at the Dapper. Someone so insightful, with such a weighty presence, had been exactly what he needed when he was unmoored from everything he'd known. Being back in the town, that feeling of drifting had more space to breathe, to float in the seaweed-ridden shallows. It had never truly dissipated. I'll go find her. Something's happened to you recently. August's pale, acorn-brown eyes narrowed at him. What is it? It's nice to see you too, August. Theodric set down a fresh glass of red wine for her and a crisp brown ale for himself. Did you miss me? That depends on if you've written any new songs in your absence. She lifted the glass with a thin, delicate arm, each movement mirroring the swan's grace with which she played the viol or directed others' music. I have a few, but they'll need your help. She smiled. You are well beyond needing my assistance with your music, but I would love to hear it all the same. August glanced toward the stage as they both thought back to the first night she'd convinced him to play. He performed the song he'd written for Ieliath before he left Lenolin, and August had been intrigued by his music ever since. You looked so relieved that night, like you'd bared your soul and then found it beautiful for the first time. Why do you not feel that way now? August was fond of intensely personal questions and mystical statements. You're intuiting more than is actually going on, as usual. He took a sip of ale, and she stared at him, unconvinced. I was sick the past few days on the ship, is all. Is that what truly happened, Theodric? She leaned forward, eyes boring into his. Tendrils of sickly green energy stretched across his vision, grasping fingers ready to pull him down below the depths. Theodric pushed himself back in the booth away from her. What are you doing? August drew her lips to the side. Curious. What do you mean? Let's leave it there for now. If there's something I need to know about, then I'd rather... She reached forward and laid her pointer finger across his mouth. You have everything you need at present. August closed her eyes and inhaled deeply, her way of sensing someone's approaching fate. He nearly laughed in her face the first time this happened, but her warnings had been well-founded enough that he stopped dismissing them offhand. Many changes lie before you. The impending shift you prepare to make, it will chart a path for other changes to follow. A shadow hovers over you, keeps you close. Expelling it will take a great act of will. But if you should choose to do so, you can lift its influence and pursue your own horizon. Was she talking about Celeste and his promotion to captain? What would the other changes be? The hardwood of the booth dug into his shoulder blades as he continued to lean away from her. August's eyebrows knit together, and she winced as though in pain. It will be dangerous. You risk much in its achievement. But should you succeed you will return to yourself in a way you had not previously believed possible. She opened her eyes and sat back, dazed. Theodric waited for her focus to return to him and the present instead of whatever she had seen. You are aware that many of your pronouncements are scary, right? I know that you're trying to help. Theodric shook his head. 
August, I don't want to return to being the starry-eyed boy who landed here five years ago. It's true that change is on the horizon for me. Tomorrow, unless something goes terribly wrong, which it might, I'm receiving my own ship. I'll have more freedom than before, and that's a really good thing. August sat up straighter and adjusted the thin strap of her white dress. I tell you these things to speak wisdom to you. She clamped her teeth together and squinted at him. When I perceive something I cannot tell you, it is because it will disrupt your path or only serve to cause you pain. Teodric sighed. That was enough for one night. I'll try to keep that in mind. He drained his ale and scooted out of the booth. August couldn't see that sometimes her wisdom made things worse. Give my apologies to Graziella and Dorrit. They'll understand what happened. Infuriatingly, she maintained her intense stare with no reaction to his implied rebuke. Facing Celeste in the morning, stepping up to become one of her captains was already frightening enough. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes and the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you, for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero stories after the events of Hedvarian Heist, book two. Amber Queen was just recently released at the end of August, and I'm so excited for you to find out about the next phase of our hero's journeys. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me beth at bethballbooks.com. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon tears. In our next episode, Elioth and Marcone make their way into the town of Trudid on a mission from the druids of the Vagervale Wood. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.